preparing myself for what's to come. Gird your loins. Girding. Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's happening, everybody? Hey, hey, y'all. So, this week, in this episode of Between the Gutters, we are going to continue on our series of our monthly read-through of Gundam Origin. Uh, I believe we're on volume three this time around. That's right. That's That's right. right. So if you've been, uh, you know, following us along uh, on our journey, uh, we're we're on the next section, and we're gonna continue the story of of all of these characters. You you want to go over the credits a little bit? Sure thing. So this week we are reading and discussing Mobile Suit Gundam: The Origin, Volume Three, titled Ramba Ral. Mobile Suit Gundam: The Origin is by Yoshikazu. Yasuhiko, and it's translated by Melissa Tanaka. The biggest plot point from the end of the last volume was that white bases on Earth continuing to journey to Jabro, to the Federation headquarters, in order to deliver the Gundam and all its data. But Garma, Garma Zabi, the leader of the North American Zeon forces ends up giving chase to them. And during the ensuing battle, he is betrayed by Shar and Garma ends up dying. Mm -hmm. So that's a big blow to the Zeon forces. And this is where we pick up in volume three. So Albert, what were your general impressions of volume three? I thought there was a lot that was going on in this volume. Um, you know, from from the outset, we deal with the aftermath of the death of uh, Garma, and uh, I think at the end of Volume Two, they don't really leave us with too much of an impression of what that means, uh, except in that very final page where you see his father. I, like, I don't know what his position is. Is he like a king or something? Or uh, I think his title is Zo- Sovereign. I think he's his title is the sovereign of the principality of Zeon. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's he's basically fair to say he's a dictator. Yeah, it's a big deal. He's a big deal. And um, the final page of that volume was just him, uh, heartbroken and crestfallen at the at the at the revelation or at, at, upon receiving the knowledge that his son is has been killed. You know. Did you um, feel any sympathy for that old man? Oh, uh, I can't say that I did. I, I will say that you know the the artist did a fantastic job of communicating his his heartache and his pathos, and you know I recognize that. But but at the end of the day, another fascist is dead, so you don't yeah, really exactly. mind. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I spit on them. I like I, I I have no sympathy for a fascist at all. <laughs> Nor do I want to have any. <laughs> even even fictional fascists. Yeah. 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 Um but yeah, right right at the beginning of this book, there's it 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 kicks off with just kind of the the fallout from from that uh from from everything that's happened, right? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh it's obviously a a pretty major event in 
the one-year war just because at, up to this point it doesn't really at least we don't get the impression that Zion has lost one of its leaders in in such a way you know right 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 so it, it feels like it feels like a loss for them and then not only that the first chapter of volume three gives us a glimpse into the Zabi family because yeah. we not only see Degwin Zabi the the old man, the father and leader of of Zion, uh, but we also see a bunch of them. Yeah, he, we see his other his other adult children who are also generals and such uh, in the Zion forces. Right, right. It's interesting to think about that, though. Um, like, I don't want to. Uh, I'm looking for the words to be as. Uh, uh, you don't need to be tactful, dude. This is your podcast. Just say whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Well, no, no, no. I, I, I still think tact is important, but it's okay. It's interesting to think, to, to read this section um, in the context of what's going on in the world. Because um, I was listening to a news report the other day, and they were talking about how uh, in Russia's attack on Ukraine, the, the Russians have lost quite a few uh, commanders, you know, like the mm-hmm. uh, just in. They lost in the their, general, didn't they? Yeah. Well, I don't know what their specific ranks are, but uh, like in terms of like people who are on the battlefield, in terms of the yeah. upper echelon of their command structure, they've lost like four or five, you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a big deal. I was, I was listening to the news and, you know, uh, if, if you want to presume that it's fake or not, that's, that's on you, but <laughs> that's on <laughs> you who are our listeners, but I, I took it on face value um, or, you know, with a grain of salt, let's say that. And they were talking about how, you know, when America was in Iraq, we, we didn't lose any of the top tier people, not, not to that level. And for the Russians to lose, four or five that's that's a yeah. huge deal you know that's so and again Rel- I, relatively I, short period of time too just yeah yeah how yeah. long has it exactly. been like a month or a little bit less than a month a little bit less than a month exactly so and, and i get it it's absurd to think of that in the context of this uh work of fiction that we're reading but uh it just just thinking about how essentially the the monarch or the the king's son was killed on the battlefield yeah that's that's a pretty shocking and heavy thought to to keep in your head you know yeah definitely it it's something that makes me wonder if there are what other stories throughout history have something like this you know because it it feels like there's got to be something in yeah, yeah, yeah. The history of the world when some kingdom or country invaded or attacked somebody and and yeah. like the generals or whatever the leaders of the ground the forces battlefield the battlefield commanders were you know sons or sons of the of the king of the royal family. Yeah, royal yeah, families. exactly. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing. Like I I think it was more common in the past when exactly when you know you had the uh the family members of the royal houses or the leading families uh directly integrated into command 
to either earn credibility or to the straight nepotism know. well i would assume that the nepotism would like put them away from from battle but i i guess it can work both ways like i i do remember uh some occasions where people were put in positions of power on the battlefield not necessarily because of their talent as uh battlefield commanders or generals or leaders or whatever but because uh they thought it'd be an easy win or something like that right (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and it'd be a good chance to claim glory and to uh you know get some credibility as as a leader of a nation but I mean, in in modern in the modern era, that's that's certainly less uh, normal than than it has been, you know, in the mm-hmm. past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just interesting to think of this uh, event in the context of what's happening right now, and just what that means, you know, to lose someone that high up, like what that looks like how demoralizing that could be you know yeah yeah that's got to be pretty demoralizing yeah but then again they're filthy fascist so (laughs) let them be demoralized (laughs) yeah i mean even garmo when when he was uh when we saw him in in volume two there was definitely a sense that he was out there to seek glory for himself because he wanted to prove to people that he wasn't a commander or a general just because of his father he wanted to yeah. show that he deserved to be in his position because yeah. of his tactical abilities and all that he proved was that he'd be a good corpse <laughs> <laughs> if, if shard didn't betray him he <laughs> would have had a decent chance actually yeah <laughs> he yeah. had a lot more forces that's true that's true (laughs) well but see that's again that's that's the thing where it's like there'd be these situations where uh, on paper it seems like your overwhelming numbers and resources should give you an easy win right so Mm -hmm. it's like well i'm just gonna let my kid do it because only an idiot would foul (laughs) this up right so so he would He'll go in there, he'll wipe these peasants out, and then he'll come back a hero. And no one will say otherwise because, you know, who's going to say anything about it, right? <laughs> like, we'll we'll just wipe them off the face of the earth. But, yeah, again, uh, all, all that he was able to prove was that uh, at the end of the day, we all bleed, we all die. Yep, just because... He's been told that he's someone special due to his yeah his father doesn't mean that he is someone special now he's the most decorated piece of meat on the field <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> that is one uh that that hamburger has quite a few medals on it good for him <laughs> <laughs> he really probably is ground meat at this point yeah, because he's... that ship exploded in a pretty massive fireball <laughs> he's a charcoal briquette <laughs> uh, yeah um yeah but in terms of my other impressions of the book i do think there was a lot that went on in this volume i, I mean there's always a lot that goes on but it was uh, also maybe about 100 pages thicker than the other ones 
Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I guess I didn't have much to compare it to except the first two volumes. So mm-hmm. it was like, okay, maybe maybe this is a trend. My my thought was maybe this is the trend moving forward. So I I don't know. You know, it kind of feels like as we're reading the the volume size don't the the size of the volumes don't matter too much. It's really just the individual chapters that add up to a whole because when you look at the individual chapters one of the things that i found interesting is that the chapters themselves aren't the same length they're all different uh page counts and it it makes it interesting to to read if like if we if they weren't already collected into these bound volumes for us and we were just reading them you know chapter at a time that that would be an interesting experience too because they only go on as long as the creator as long as yasuhiko feels like you know when he feels like he's done telling a story beat he'll end the chapter there you know right right and i think huh. he had he just had that freedom because when this comic was originally serialized in uh i believe it was i forget the name of the magazine gundam ace i think it was but uh because that magazine was basically just to showcase his work he was able to have that creative freedom to sometimes do different page counts for his chapters. You know, like not everything right. has to be 30 or 40 pages. Sometimes he could have like a 50 or 60 page installment. Sometimes he could have a 40 page installment. I forget. Uh, like originally this stuff was all put out as in, in pieces or did yeah, it come out it was, fully formed? It was okay. serialized. Each okay. each chapter uh, came out in a Gundam magazine. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So that yeah, that is pretty interesting. I, I don't think most people have that luxury. I mean, yeah, because yeah, even even stuff like Shonen luxury. Jump or those other, uh, you know, those general manga books that come out every week. I, I'm pretty yeah. sure those have set page counts. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean. They, they they can't have the pages fluctuate like that, right? It wouldn't be cost effective. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that only someone with the the weight and the pull of uh you know the the creator of Gundam could pull off something like that. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. or would be given that uh freedom. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that is an interesting thought now that you mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Drew? What kind of, what what initial thoughts did you have about it, about this volume? Well, I think as somebody who again is familiar with Gundam and has watched the anime and read this series at least one time through, uh, I think it just reminded me of a lot of really familiar and kind of iconic moments, like there the introduction of. Ramba Rao, he's a character that, even though he doesn't really appear that much, like we see him in this one, right? And uh, <laughs> he dies at the end of it. Yeah. That's well, that's kind of all he gets. Okay, that's uh, that's interesting. I wasn't, because I remember, I think there was like a huge explosion, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was one of those things where I, <laughs> I was looking at that and I was like, wait, did he die or is it just one of those things where there's an explosion and 
since we don't see a body, we don't know if he's really gone. Or not. <laughs> nah, he's he's super dead. <laughs> okay, okay. Hope Good that wasn't know. a spoiler for you, man. But uh, okay, he was no, 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 the that... grenade and and he died in the Gundam's hands when the grenade blew up. Okay, okay. Thanks for clarifying. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you don't see a body because the body's like a hundred integrated. Oh, yeah, it's just a bunch of little bits. <laughs> right, right. Okay, okay, okay. You know, yeah, he, he's definitely a character for his limited time in the story. He he leaves an impact, and even even to this day, I think a lot of fans have affection for this character. Yeah, he does feel like the kind of character that he feels like an honorable adversary. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it, he's not a character who a lot of the times when you tell these kind of stories, you want them to be either evil or treacherous or sneaky or whatever like he's he's a guy that you you almost respect for Mm -hmm. for like for his commitment to whatever he's doing for like his i guess nobility there's an air of nobility around him even though he's someone that is actively trying to harm you and work against your goals yeah yeah he's he is that he fits into that category of the the honorable villain. Yeah. I was reading up some stuff and about uh, what people were saying about him online and somebody pointed out that he was I, I saw some some post somewhere online where somebody pointed out that he was probably inspired by somebody like Urban Rommel, the Desert Fox. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah. Wait, wait. I mean, you wouldn't happen to have more on that, would you? Like, is that just uh, an a, like an hypothesis on someone's part, or did they have? Actual... I I didn't dive super deep into it because uh, my time was limited. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. but uh, from what I what the person wrote was interesting. The only thing is that I don't have any corroborating source from anyone involved in the creation of Gundam. So I, I don't know if if Tomino or Yasuhiko ever said anything about the inspiration for this character. Yeah. But if you look at the just the the evidence uh, within the text in terms of like what the kind of forces that he leads, he's the sto- the story in this volume does take place in a desert and he leads a mobile suit force, which are basically like their version of tanks. Heck, uh-huh. even his his main base is essentially a tank because it's it's not like a flying, or I mean, I guess it's a ship, but then it, it's also like we see it travel on the ground. Um, and then there is also some other uh, points where the person said how I haven't seen uh, this other version, another Gundam series, but there was a a Gundam series from the early 2000s called Gundam Seed. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a another remix of First Gundam. And in that version in Gundam Seed, even though it's its own continuity, a whole different universe, there's a lot of analogs to the characters that we're familiar with from reading The Origin. And the character that was similar to Rambaral in Gundam Seed, I believe his name was actually Ramo. Oh. Oh, okay, okay. So it's kind of like circumstantial. It's interesting to think about. I don't know if that's what the original creators actually intended. Yeah. 
But yeah. if it if it was, I guess Erwin Rommel was one of those Nazis that uh, people, at least from a military perspective, had respect for. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was, you know, just to give a little bit of context, but he was definitely a guy who was feared for his skill at Warcraft, you know, the video game. And, uh, <laughs> uh he was he just had fast hands man his 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 uh control of the mouse and uh keyboard speed unbelievable <laughs> but but uh he was a guy who um yeah you know in in his military career always was just kind of even to this day his his name is almost synonymous with like the you know head generals it's synonymous with like just uh generals to fear you know uh, like maybe even some of the greatest that people can name um and the thing about him was one and and i don't know if this feeds into the idea of him as this like as this uh respectable character or whatever but he was a guy who although a nazi and you know fighting on behalf of the nazis he was a guy who Towards the end, I'm pretty sure he was against the war, but he did what he did because... Uh, he was a soldier. He was a soldier, exactly. He did what he did because he he didn't want Germans to die. And um, from what I remember, uh, what ended up happening was there was an assassination attempt on Hitler's life, and Hitler survived, but all uh, among all the people that were rounded up in this conspiracy to kill him uh rommel was one of them and he was given the chance to kill himself and he did you know Mm -hmm. uh which which is a tough thing to do um for sure but yeah i mean it's stuff like that that kind of cements him in the fantasies of people uh you know uh yeah in the fantasies of people who who view him as although you hate who what he did and well yeah okay although you hate who he fought for it's hard not to respect him for yeah the uh skill and um ability that he had you know yeah yeah Yeah. like if, if like he he wasn't someone who was known for committing war crimes or anything like that i don't think was uh, he i mean he was a nazi i'm pretty sure well, they were he... all war crimes <laughs> but <laughs> it's, uh, he wasn't the worst of them i guess <laughs> uh, like you i i don't know i don't i don't want to now we got to read a wanna, history book <laughs> yeah i don't want to dive too deep into that conversation because i might end up seeing something <laughs> I I will I'll regret. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, we'll we'll go back to fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go back to talking about Gundam. Yeah, yeah. But even even in the book, there were moments where he he showed incredible insight. As you're as, talking about Rambo Rall. Yeah, I'm talking about Rambo yeah. Rall. There were there were moments and scenes where he just showed that he had incredible insight into his adversaries and into his surroundings, you know, and, um, 
and when he did act it was it was pretty swift and mm-hmm. uh i guess you might even say courageous you know on on his end anyways uh yeah and additionally there were yeah there was even this one moment where he had amuro dead to rights and he could have killed him right then and there but he chose not to granted he he uh granted he he had a plan in place but even even in terms of their uh interaction with one another it was i don't know not not respectable but you know it was likable there to some degree there was a sense of likability to it you know mm-hmm. he wasn't a completely detestable person yeah yeah, yeah exactly exactly yeah. You want to go uh, into the into the sections, into the various sections, into the breakdowns of it? Yeah, sure. So let's go ahead and do a chapter by chapter uh, recap of the book. And you know, I'll, I'll I'll give my brief little summary of the chapter and whatever commentary or thoughts you have. Feel free to just interrupt and and chime in. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so. Again, with uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, the origin, I guess for whatever reason, they call the chapters sections. So each chapter is called, you know, section one, two, and so forth. Um, so let's start from the beginning here with section one. So this picks up right after the end of volume two. After the battle against Garma's forces, White Base has a chance to resupply, and we see another reappearance of Lieutenant Matilda, who showed up earlier in Volume 2 to help resupply the the white base. She was uh, interesting because she's an older woman that Amro feels attracted to. And then, like, later on in this, in Volume 3, when Amro sees Hamon, he's clearly, like, fascinated with her, too. So I, I guess he has like a thing for older women or something. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> uh, I guess I didn't read it that way because it it just felt like he was um intimidated by her, but I didn't know. Uh, I, I I didn't think that it was a fascination. A romantic. Yeah, uh, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't know if it's a romantic fascination with with Hamon, but yeah, there. It's it's interesting to think that she got his attention you know yeah well i mean i guess he... she is one of the few women that <laughs> that he meets <laughs> that's that's a winning uh a winning compliment to give anyone of the women available you are well, definitely you are one of the more attractive ones <laughs> when you think about it when he's on white base he's got basic there's basically frau Bo, there's Sela. There's yeah. Mirai and you know a bunch of I guess there's a bunch of other crew members that don't really have names so obviously they they don't really count in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't give even those girls uh, any and he doesn't really pay special attention to them. I mean, it feels like Frau is is kind of into him, um, but he, he, yeah, he just doesn't really reciprocate. Certainly not to the level where he's he's stunned silent or like just in awe of yeah. of, of those characters, you know, because yeah, there there are scenes where he's he's looking at these 
um, these characters, these older women, and he's just kind of almost slack-jawed, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember in Volume 2, the first time he sees Matilda, he's, he's pretty slack-jawed. And then later on, when she's talking with Bright, he even like kind of sneaks sneaks around near them just so he can look at her <laughs> and, and that's when she notices him and, and like actually talks to him directly yeah yeah well uh, i mean how old is he again 16 yeah i believe he's supposed to be 16 maybe even yeah. 15 but i don't know it's it's weird i guess with with anime ages it always seems like all the main characters in anime tend to be super young way yeah. younger than you know you would expect them to be it it doesn't really feel even though he's supposed to be 16 yeah yeah, his age doesn't really feel like his maturity level because i don't think i don't think too many 16 year olds in real life uh would think or react the same way as he has yeah um yeah well i i don't know i want to say maybe it's just a thing for young pubescent boys to to have an attraction for um older women like i i don't think that's too yeah, outside of it's, the it's realm pretty normal the believable right yeah yeah when you were a kid so, didn't you have a crush on your teacher because i'm pretty sure i did yeah there, yeah i i'd say that that's a thing that happens um where you feel uh unexplainable thoughts towards this uh, person in your life <laughs> i feel like you're about to tell me about the birds and the bees now <laughs> you see son there comes a point in your life where you start to notice changes your voice will be getting deeper you will notice hair in funny places <laughs> that won't be the only thing you notice <laughs> dude I'm, I'm so looking forward to you being a father I can't wait for you to have a kid. I have to have that conversation with my kids. And more, I'm more than happy to find a kid on the playground and have that conversation with <laughs> yeah, on the, Just some <laughs> random kid. Hey, Billy. <laughs> now, people won't tell you this. But, Your but, parents won't tell you this, but let me tell you. <laughs> but your old Uncle Albert will tell you. <laughs> Don't tell your parents I told you this either. <laughs> oh gosh. It's just a hobby of mine. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Um, so continuing the recap, there's no smooth way to transition away from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like running into a brick wall. <laughs> So while White Base is resupplying back on Xeon, the Zabi family is preparing for Garma's state funeral. So we get a chance to see not only Degwin Zabi, but we also see his other children who are also, uh, I forget their exact ranks, but they're basically all generals within Xeon's uh, military forces as well. So we get uh Garen, who's the guy who ends up giving the speech uh later on his there's the daughter Cecilia who's impl- f- who, she's implied to be like the leader of of like i don't know like their their spy network and stuff uh-huh. so like that those kind of uh you know more black ops oriented types of forces 
And then the other one, the other zombie is Dozel Zabi, who's this really like hulking big guy with scars on his face. But then the funny thing is like a video game where you have like your sub bosses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like King Koopa and his and his children, right? Yeah, or if not that, another uh, you know, in your in listening to your description of it, it it kind of reminds me of like Sailor Moon too, like how she has her her generals, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, go on. Mhm. So yeah, we get a chance to see them interact a little bit. You get a a picture of uh, Degwin Zabi mourning over Garma. It's it's kind of weird to see him. Or I guess just the idea of of seeing him in this sort of shell shocked state, mourning over his son, watching the same video over and over, basically his son's last message to him. Mm-hmm. But uh, it seems like Giran Zabi and Cassilia Zabi they're not really super broken up about it. Dozel, yeah. the the big yeah. tough looking one, he's the only one who who sheds any tears, I think. Yeah, but even then, from what I remember, it it almost felt like, I don't know, I I don't know if they were real tears or if he was just trying to look, uh, like he cared about his brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Because here he was, they're about to be at this funeral with his father, and and maybe this is just my misreading of of the scene, but it it felt like, because. Because it felt like the scene right before he started crying, he was kind of pulling off this like tough guy moment, and then mm-hmm. it just switches to this. And I, yeah, I guess there's a way to read it where it's like, oh, maybe that's just his facade finally breaking. But then there's also a way, a way to read it, or, or the way that I was thinking about it was maybe he's uh, trying to like curry favor with his dad, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to try to you know, show that he cares for his brother so that he can be, like, positioned, uh, gain uh, position or favor with his dad or something, you know? Yeah. Um, like, it's like political posturing, you know? Yeah, but that's a good again, point. I don't know if that's, that's... That's why it was hard for me to tell whether, like, those were sincere, genuine feelings that he was feeling or whether he was just positioning himself for, for something, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... I don't want to spoil anything for you, but I will say that you'll get a chance to see all these sub bosses a little bit more throughout the next yeah. nine volumes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you expect expect that. <laughs> It'd be funny if in the next volume they all just happen to be on the same ship that gets blown up, and that's just kind of the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be surprising. It'd be like, what? What was all that for? Who are they gonna? Who who is White Base gonna fight now? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh-huh. yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. I was just about to continue the recap, but what were you about to say? Um, no, no, it's fine. I can I can save it for later. We we got a section on it later, so it's probably more suited to that anyways. So okay. go ahead. So the rest of uh, section one is White Base finishing its resupply, and then they continue the journey to Jabro, the, base, the Federation base, so they can deliver the Gundam and all the data regarding the Gundam. But while they are uh, on their journey, they encounter Rambaral and his forces for the first time. Mm. Then that leads directly into 
section two, where we get to see Rambaral in his new mobile suit in all its glory. It's called the Goof, and he really wants you to know that this is no Zaku, boy. He gives Amuro a big thrashing, puts some real fear into him. Amuro survives, but he's a bit shaken. You can tell that he wasn't expecting to encounter something other than a Zaku, and it just throws him off. Yeah, up to this point, he's just fighting like Goombas and like, you know, they're basically just like tin cans to him. He's just messing them up left and right. Then he comes across this one dude, and not only does he have like a better uh, 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 unit than these other uh, chumps, but he's he's smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's Rambaral is a talented pilot too. He's he's basically an ace, and yeah. he's uh showing a young kid pilot how it goes, man. Funny thing is, is we were talking about how how young Amro is. And I think according to like the official Gundam materials, I think Rambaral is even though he's played off as like this old man, I think he's only like thirty or thirty-five. Oh. Wow. Because <laughs> I'm looking at pictures of him right now. Um well, okay, in the origin I guess he looks a lot younger, but I does he look different in the anime? Is he kind of a heavier set dude in the anime? Yeah. Okay. Okay, because I remember from from what I remember in the book, I guess he is like a more distinguished looking dude. He, he doesn't have like gray hairs or anything, but you know, dude's got like a, a pretty hefty mustache and looks, you know, aged, aged, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at these uh, toys of of him, and the dude's a little, you know, he's he's kind of he's got a middle. He's like got a grandpa. A, yeah, he's got a hefty middle. Yeah, but yeah, I just I, I just looked him up on the Gundam Wikipedia and it, yeah, in the anime he's he's 35 years old. Yeah. <laughs> but they make him look so much older. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you could say that that's a stylistic choice just to just an anime thing fact. for sure. Yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, it, it that makes sense. Just I guess it's it's something done to exaggerate just the differences between the two of them right yeah i don't know why they wouldn't just make him like 50 or something (laughs) like (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean maybe maybe they don't think it's believable that a 50 year old could do all that stuff yeah but it's not like that's much harder to believe than a 16 year old doing what amro's doing either that's true like i guess the reason why why ramba is 35 is because amro's 16 so yeah you know if if they uh, adjusted the ages a bit, it might make it a little bit more realistic, I suppose. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess ultimately that's just one of those things where we acknowledge how silly it is and shrug our shoulders and you know just enjoy the story for what it is, you know. So because instead of making us question uh, the ability of a 16-year-old teen and a 50-year-old man. Now they're just making us question, like, is this what they think 16-year-olds and 35-year-olds look like? <laughs> they Man. can't win. They can't win. I know, dude. He's he's 35 years old, and he's just a grandpa. Like, yeah. 
we're both older than 35 now and that that just bodes badly for us <laughs> <laughs> at least at least this dude has like victories under his belt that's true like wartime what do we victories have? <laughs> uh we have this podcast <laughs> there you go man there we that's go that's all we need i mean i i didn't say that but well, yeah, we probably need a whole lot more. But... Yeah, I definitely need a whole lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. The other big thing that happens in Section 2 is Giren Zabi uses Garma's funeral as an opportunity to give a warmongering speech to his people. And to me, this was one of the more memorable scenes in, in the entire book probably honestly probably like one of the more memorable scenes for me in in just Gundam in general my experience with Gundam mm. i just think that the the gravitas of the scene not just not merely just his speech but all of the surrounding context and the scenes uh that we see like especially the scenes with the crew of white base listening to him and and Amro listening to him and and bright getting you know just self-righteous pissed off listening to this guy say all this crap and then uh there's also that scene with char in a bar somewhere uh drinking some whiskey or whatever listening to all this and just kind of like smirking at garma (laughs) yeah there's like a lot of stuff about this whole scene that always captured my attention for some reason Mm -hmm. and i think Watching it in the anime, that's probably what made it take up so much real estate in my mind. Just because the the voice actor of this character in the anime, he just did an amazing job. Like that dude, I think his name is Banjo Ginga, but this guy uh, has just this really deep voice. Like a really mean sounding deep voice with a lot of bass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like one of the things I I learned recently is that the same guy that did Giren Zabi's voice in the anime in the Avengers movies in Japan, he dubs, he does the Japanese dub for Thanos. So Mm -hmm. I guess he's like probably got a career voicing bad people, bad guys, bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just because he's got this really angry sounding voice, man. Yeah. It's, it's another interesting scene that I can't help, but uh, uh, like, that I can't help but look at in the context of everything that's going on um, in the real world. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I think they announced today, I, it was either today or yesterday where um, everything's going on with everything that's going on in Ukraine. Uh, apparently Putin held some sort of rally where it, it's just kind of, I, I I was watching it on YouTube and it's kind of fascinating to watch, but it's it's this huge rally with uh you know uh rock stars and uh, uh musical acts and um you know and he just goes out there and he just gives this long speech about you know the heroes that have uh given their lives for this thing and uh you know for for this cause and he talks about how um how their cause is just and he talks about how like 
you know, when when a friend sees something bad happening to another friend, is it not their right to 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 step in and take action, right? Like I'm paraphrasing just from my memory, but it's mm-hmm. it was interesting to watch and just to watching everyone in the crowd who I, I might even question whether they're there because they want to be or not. <laughs> yeah. But but just to watch these people just you know jumping up and down and just so happy for for um yeah for this this uh ideological position that they're all taking you know that yeah like like maybe on the battlefield these people are dying but we're dying for the right thing we're dying for the right reasons you know mm-hmm. like we mm-hmm. any of us would give our lives for this and and it just kind of it made me think of the, the speech and in this scene here where again this guy takes this tragedy and uh you know the death of this one person and uses it to foment um the the will of the populace in in order to uh you know solidify their their strength and their position yeah yeah he's really trying to rile them up and and get them you know feeling those fervent nationalistic feelings yeah it's like you know exactly it's it's one of us has died but what greater cause or what greater cause and what greater way to die than for such a righteous cause right yeah yeah i mean the thing with his speech is um well there's a couple things that i found really interesting about the speech but first of all is just the fact that uh in the chapter every chapter of the origin has a few color pages a lot of times in in manga when you see colored pages it's usually just like the first couple pages of the chapter just because you know they want to entice you to to start reading it so they put a little color in the beginning then that usually draws people's attention and gives the artist the chance to to show off but because again like what we were saying about the the page counts for the chapters because Yas had this artistic freedom he he had opportunities to use color anywhere in the chapter that he wanted you know it didn't have to necessarily be at the beginning of the chapter and and here he uses the color at the very end of the chapter right when Giran's speech is crescendoing into this you know really ridiculous fascist like supremacist rant. kind of speech yeah it's, <laughs> yeah it's a rant basically i mean look like there, there are bits of the speech that you could say it, it it makes sense that he's saying those things because they're at war with the Federation. And he's, you know, he's, he's saying like kind of noble platitudes or whatever, but like by the very end of it, he's literally saying never for, never for a moment forget that we citizens of the principality of Zeon are God's elect. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. That's always a good sign. Like <laughs> I would have been in the crowd going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's he getting off this? <laughs> Where are you getting this? Yeah. <laughs> Where's this coming from, man? Yeah. <laughs> Settle down now. Exactly. But then, like, everybody in the crowd starts saying the Sig Zeon chant, you know, and you just see, like, these thousands of people in the stadium raising their fists, doing the salute and stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's very uh, Nazi-esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
what's the next thing? Next scene is something interesting here because it's something called Section Extra. So I'm not sure if this was something that maybe he did in a different magazine or just as a bonus for uh, the collected edition. I don't know the the history or the reasoning behind it, but it's a chapter that comes in between volume uh, chapters two and three. Yeah, and I this one that too. It was pretty weird. I, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's the type of thing that. Almost feels like there's no reason for it, but it, it makes you wonder why why it was in there or why it was labeled differently than the rest of them. But uh, yeah, maybe know. maybe it's because this one is mostly about Shar. Like this, like interestingly enough, like Shar doesn't really appear too much in Volume Three. Yeah. You see him a little bit at the end of Section Two, just during the during Garen's speech when Shar is is in a bar. Yeah, but he doesn't really appear, and he's not really relevant in the rest of the of the story or in the volume. Yeah, but it's, in this extra volume, like just there to let you know that what he's doing. This is what happened to him. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So what we see in section extra is that Zeon is continuing its search for the location of Jabro. So what we know from from context clues is that Jabro is somewhere in South America, and I believe it's located. Uh, in Brazil, because there was a picture of a map in one of the earlier chapters, and like basically they explain, I think Bright or someone someone else on the bridge explains what their route is supposed to be, so they can try to avoid Zeon territory as much as possible and make it to their uh, headquarters. Hmm. But Zeon doesn't know exactly where their headquarters is. They don't know exactly where Jabro is. They they know like the general vicinity. They know you know that it's in south america or brazil but they don't know like the exact coordinates so they're mm. searching for it then we have Cecilia zavi recruit the recently disgraced shar into her command earlier it was stated that shar was actually under the command of dozo zavi you know the big tough guy who ended up shedding tears mm-hmm, at the mm-hmm. funeral so he was under Dozel's command, but after what happened to Garma, I guess Dozel was disgusted at him and, you know, kicked him out of his forces. Yeah. Yeah. So now uh, Cassilia ends up getting him. Yeah, exactly. So we see we see that he's uh, searching for Jabro. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, not too much, not too many thoughts on this chapter. Just thought it was interesting that the I guess the bonus chapter was pretty much all about the Zabis or uh, all about the Zeon and what Shar was doing during this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think you could help me clarify something? That, like, so I mm-hmm. wasn't really so. Is what what's Jabro exactly? It's the headquarters of the Federation. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because. It was just interesting or, or, or a little confusing to me since they were like citing real places, but I was, but Jabro was in, was was part of this too, and I wasn't. I, I might have missed that part, but I was like, is that based on a real place or? Okay. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't think it's a real city. Yeah, I don't think it is either. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. It's it's just uh where the Federation has their headquarters and white bases. Yeah. Trying to get there. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, I mean, I guess the thing about it is it does set us up because uh, one would think that after what Char did, you know, just he like straight up betrayed, uh, you know, the the Dharma, Dharma, and and really the Zeon, if if you really think about it, right? So he should. I be... guess it's it's only circumstantial in a way because they don't. I don't think they actually know that he literally betrayed them. That's and true. Intentionally. And He's it's just more a like failure as opposed to a traitor. <laughs> exactly. They just I think yeah. they just think that he's a an incompetent failure who made a horrible mistake that ended up getting their leader killed. Yeah, yeah. Much better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but realistically speaking in real life that's that's kind of the end of you would expect that to be the end of anyone's military career, right? Yeah. But it does set char up as a guy who he's got like nine political lives apparently you know like we we know that he's on the outs and he didn't even look like he was devastated by it you know he, he looked pretty <laughs> he was pretty smug yeah he was nonchalant pretty smug about the whole thing and for them to reinvite him back into the fold for whatever plan that they've uh got set up you just know that it's not going to end well. You you know that maybe mm-hmm. they've got their own ulterior motives by bringing Char back into the mold, fold. But at the same time, what knowing what we know about Char, we know that that's not a good idea on their end either. You yeah, know? you're yeah. you're just He's putting him in a cunning. position where he can screw you over. You know, even exactly. though you think. You think you've got the upper hand on him, and you think you're you're gonna be he's he's going to be the weapon that you're going to use at your disposal to like bring ruin to your political to her political enemies. But, yeah, and that's definitely implied here because Cecilia comes off as someone else who's playing a cunning political yeah. game. Yeah, she's there's, treacherous. There's, yeah, there's definitely something treacherous about her. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I guess that's that's the value of this extra chapters just seeing seeing what's going to happen or or it lays the foundation for whatever happens next mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. okay moving on to section three so white base is on the move again and they are attacked once more by rambaral's forces again amro takes another beating in the gundam but he and the white base managed to escape and this time they even managed to capture an enemy Zaku pilot. Sela takes an interest in the prisoner. Meanwhile, Amro is studying his enemy's new mobile suit, the Goof. But while he's checking out the statistics and running simulations, he overhears a conversation between Bright and Mirai. Bright basically says that he wants to train a backup pilot for the Gundam because he wasn't you know, the implication is that he wasn't sure that Amro could really cut it anymore. Yeah. But Amro takes it personally. He overhears it, takes it personally. His feelings are hurt. And, you know, he, he gets pretty upset. Then later that night, he ends up leaving White Base and takes the Gundam with him. And that's mm-hmm. how the section ends. So yeah. this one, I thought, was another interesting chapter just because we get to see a new facet of amro where he's i guess i guess i just call him like pretty sensitive 
I don't know. Like, what? How would you categorize his uh, reaction here? Sort of is one way to look at it. I, I guess I I didn't really think of it in those terms, but now that you mention it, it it's true that he's. Well, I, I guess what I was gonna say was insecure, <laughs> you mm, know. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. Like he's he's even though he's the one guy that can run this um, this Gundam, uh, it's this idea that he has this really complicated love hate relationship with it. Where on the one hand, he he's just a sixteen year old kid and he just wants to not do this because. <laughs> You know who wants to die right but mm-hmm. at the same time there's something about being the hero of your own story in in a given situation that it's a hard thing to give up once you've had a taste of it you know mm-hmm. um like in addition to that i I'd, I'd probably say there's an element of selfishness to it but yeah now that i think about it insecurity is probably the bigger thing you know it's it's the fear of losing his status as um the hero it's the fear that he's going to be demoted the fear that he has to share this thing with somebody else or even maybe there's a way to look at it where he thinks that in in getting someone to train as a secondary for him what he's really training is a replacement you know yeah and i I guess i understand it on a human level but it's it's a hard thing to respect someone for when you think about it in terms of uh survival and um uh and and well yeah in in terms of survival right because this thing this gundam is really the thing that's protecting their ship you know, mm-hmm. it's 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 the linchpin between their survival and utter death. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for him to just go, well, if I'm not going to be the guy who gets to pilot this, I'm going to take my toy with me and I'm going to leave, you know, and that's a, yeah. what happens after that is up to you. It's it's hard. To, yeah. To like that's, this guy that's pretty selfish. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would have been one thing if he just was like, I'm leaving white base and he just hikes off or you know steals a jeep or something but to yeah. actually take the gundam that's that's pretty messed up yeah yeah right and we even see the people on the base debate the, this thing but in my opinion it's not really the kind of thing that's up for debate you know uh if, if you were a part of the crew would you uh be pretty pissed at amuro I, I'd I'd have my pitchfork and my torch and I'd be like hang him <laughs> Kill the beast! <laughs> I mean, you you didn't feel a sense of uh, outrage towards him when that happened, or just... I did, I did. It, okay, I definitely felt that taking the Gundam was a step too much. Yeah, that I mean, that's I mean, number one, it's not even his property, you know. Yeah, sure, his yeah. dad might have developed it, but it's a military. Uh, you know, it belongs to the military. Yeah. So for him just to steal it just because he got his feelings hurt and he feels overprotective of his his machine. Yeah, it, it is a case of some it's like a spoiled kid saying, uh, I'm mad and I'm going to take my toys and go home now so you can't play with it. Yeah. Except yeah, he takes your toy home because it, 
<laughs> it's not actually it's a his. bad look. It's a terrible look. Yeah. 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 It's but, it's a really strange way for the hero of the story to act, isn't it? It's it's not really heroic. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Um, so moving, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I was just introducing the next scene. Okay. Yeah. So in section four, uh, we, we realize that White Base is in this kind of desert region. So Amuro, he's in that region too. He doesn't really seem to go too far from the base. He disembarks and hides the Gundam in the sand, and he sets forth on foot. Back on the ship, Sela tries to talk to the prisoner about the Red Comet, about mm-hmm. Shar. Clearly, she's got some kind of interest in learning more about Shar, and she believes that this prisoner might have some information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amuro finds himself in a town, a dusty desert town, and there's it's it's funny, it's like a... I guess they're in South America, but it, it looks like a, a Western or something, you know? Yeah, Cause, yeah. Because he basically goes into this saloon or a tavern or something so he can get some water and stuff, something to eat. Then while he's there at the, in the same place, Rambaral, Hamon, and a bunch of Zeon soldiers enter the same tavern so they can get some refreshment. Yeah. Everybody on White Base is upset at Amro for deserting, but... Fraubo, she's the only one who, I guess, stands up for him. And she's yeah. upset that everyone else is upset at him. Yeah. So she actually leaves White Base on a jeep to try and bring him back. Yeah. But the Zeons find her, and they bring her into the tavern. So she finds Amaro. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those high-tension situations. But yeah. eventually they let her go. But it's really just so they can tail her back to White Base. Yeah. Then at the end of the chapter, Bright discovers that Sela has been talking to the POW for info about Char, and it casts doubt on her loyalties. Yeah. That scene that you described earlier, it's a great scene. It's like something we've seen out of movies where uh, Mm -hmm. we as the viewer know what what the circumstances are, but the characters don't. So it's it's this huge, tense scene where um, you're waiting to see how this is all going to unfold whether because if if the uh if ramba Rao finds out that who amuro is he he's he's got him dead to rights because yeah he's just in this bar full of soldiers you know and he has we no know, chance yeah and we as the reader know that frau is on her way to like retrieve him so there's all these interesting and, she, and she's moments. wearing her federation uniform yeah yeah, so you, there's all these uh, intersecting things, and the only thing that could work out for him uh, is it almost feels like if all these things just happen to miss each other by just a little bit, then it can work out for him, right? But otherwise, mm-hmm. it almost feels like it's a certainty that he's he's done for. Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, the scene from *Inglorious Bastards*, where Quentin Tarantino just has all of them sitting in the bar, uh, with uh, where he has all the uh, British. Uh, the he, he's got the people that are part of the uh, *Inglorious Bastards* sitting with a German collaborator, and then this German uh, soldier sits down, and 
you know, just decides to hang out with them. And it's just this constant ratcheting up of this tension where it's like, are they going to get away with this? Or is this guy going to find out who they really are? And are things just going to, you know, is crap going to hit the fan, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's great little moment. Totally dig it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that scene too. That That's something that really does feel like a, something out of a Western. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah the tension in the scene it's like you're just kind of waiting for something to explode essentially yeah. yeah the other thing that's interesting too is is this is the scene where uh, after they catch frau and they realize she knows amuro and they they figure you know they put they figure out uh what's going on uh there's that moment when Amuro, he's wearing a cloak or a poncho or something, and we don't see it from our point of view initially. But under his cloak, he's he's got his hand on his pistol. You know, he's ready to, to like, even yeah. though it's pretty hopeless. Like, there's no way that, like, if he pulled out his gun at that moment, I'm pretty sure he and Frau would have just they gotten killed. Light him up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah. but Ramba Rao ends up realizing what's going on, and and like he basically just lifts Amro's arm up or lifts up his poncho to, you know, see that he's got his hand on his gun. Yeah. And uh manages to de-escalate the yeah. situation. Well, it's kind of funny. <laughs> like I, I don't have the book in front of me. <laughs> and and this might say more about me. Than... It was the panel before the page turn, right? Because I was yeah. thinking the same thing. <laughs> At first when Rambarog puts his hand on uh Amro's <laughs> hip, I was like, wait, what is he grabbing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And like, do you have the scene in front of you? Like, I'm looking he at says, it right now. It's on page two sixty one. Does he say something about being a man or something like that? No, no. It, it, it's it's actually really funny out of context because yeah. On the here, I'll describe the page to everybody. But it's first you get four panels of Amro's face, and they're just close ups on his on his eyes where yeah. he's just shocked, and then he looks down at himself, and then yeah. the next panel takes up like a third of the page, and it's ramba grabbing amuro it looks like he's grabbing amuro's like Junk. groin area yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's he's not actually but that's what it kind of looks like if you didn't know yeah. better yeah. and they're both looking down there and then ramba says plenty of nerve too i'm liking yeah. you more and more that's the thing i looked i read that <laughs> and i had to i i read it i i stared at that scene for maybe like 30 seconds trying to figure out what it was what was going on <laughs> and i was like is he just like wow this guy's got balls so he like proceeded to literally grab his balls <laughs> i thought that's what, what was going on i was like man this guy's uh that's brash dude <laughs> i know I, I i was thinking the same thing man that that was pretty funny but then when you once you flip the page you see what he's doing and all he's doing is just lifting up amro's cloak by his waist and he sees that armor holding his pistol yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah that that was definitely a funny moment man unintentionally funny yeah or it could have been intentionally i mean like it feels like he planned like uh the scene That's was true. planned out pretty that it's hard to not, not look at that scene and think there was something deliberate about this yeah yeah maybe yeah. maybe yasuhiko was just having a lot of fun yeah 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 but it, it's in this scene where 
you almost get the sense that uh, Ramba Rao has this sense of dignity amongst uh, enemy combatants because he even goes and he says, well, this is neutral territory. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, what happens here stays here, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're not, we're not going to settle it here, but when we see each other out there on the battlefield, that's when we'll, we'll, we'll handle it, you know? Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. That's another example of, I guess his more uh, noble uh, aspects in terms of, you know, being an antagonist. He's yeah. There's still that sense of honor because they're in this, town in the middle of nowhere and i'm pretty sure if that if zeon wanted to just light him up or capture amro or do yeah. whatever they wanted the people of that town would be powerless to stop him yeah i mean but it was it truly was just rambaral deciding to respect the people yeah well I, I think when we think about it in the context of what happens after this scene there's 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 definitely a cunningness to it as well that's so, too. I, there's a part of me that wonders like I suppose you could say that he could have just captured them and you know viciously savaged them for the information that he wanted or interrogated them. But yeah, he decides yeah. to be cunning. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I guess the it's a question of like how much of it is really a matter of him just being a dignified character and how much of it is just like just an example of how mm. uh, how much. Uh, sense of how how well he understands people, how well he understands his enemy, right? That's a good point, man. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. Like, because on the face of it, it's like, oh wow, he he's he's an honorable man. But when when the later chapters uh, unfold, you realize, oh, he he, he let them go so he could follow Frau back to base. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Because yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because they're looking for white base. They don't know exactly where it is. So yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty clever on his part. Yeah, and what did? Oh, go ahead. I don't think he knows Amuro's the pilot, right? Right. He He doesn't know until later. uh, Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what were you saying? I was gonna ask you, uh, what were your thoughts when you first read this chapter and and you started to see those scenes with Sela and the prisoner and how she was like just trying to get all this pumping for information, you know? I guess it didn't occur to me uh, what what she was building up to. Um, it, it is suspicious, but it was just like, oh, okay, I guess she just wants to know about Char or she wants to know about the enemy. And maybe I was just being really simple-minded about it and not thinking about it, but it... You know, when when the big revelation happens, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, I I guess we could just say it, right? Or is that in the next chapter? Uh, I think it's a couple chapters later when we, okay, okay. we learn we for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can move on. Uh, section five. Not a whole lot to say here. Uh, this is a pretty big. Uh, I guess action-oriented installment. But this is where Ramba's forces attack White Base, and in the chaos, that Zaku pilot, uh, the prisoner, escapes from the from the brig, and Sela chases him. They end up engaging in a pitched battle where they're fighting over a gun and all that. Yeah. So yeah, there's that happening, and then uh, with Amuro, he realizes what happened after they let Frau go. 
So he ends up uh, getting back to the Gundam so he can help his friends in in the battle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Then in section six, the battle continues. Ramba in his goof is messing up the Federation forces until the point when Amro arrives. Meanwhile, inside White Base, Sayla is still chasing the prisoner, and eventually one of the other crew members kills the prisoner while he's trying to escape. It's kind of a funny scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the guy is trying to uh, he gets a jetpack from I guess the armory or whatever, and he's about to like escape at this hatch and fly off the base, but he and he locks the door behind him and Sayla tries to shoot the lock with her pistol and it doesn't work. But then this crew member he's like, I've got a rocket launcher or a bazooka. <laughs> I've <laughs> got this. <laughs> yeah. And he like shoots the door from just a few feet away. <laughs> yeah. It can only end badly, you yeah. know. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't trying to kill this dude, but that's what he that he that's what he accomplished anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that guy was just blown to bits. Yeah, yeah. Amaro and Rambo have a big battle in their mobile suits that ends with both of their cockpit hatches damaged so they can actually see each other for the first time they see each other face to face Mm -hmm. and before the goof is destroyed uh, Ramba manages to escape after that battle ends Amro officially returns to white base but understandably Bright is pretty upset truth be told I think everybody's upset at him and he's thrown into the brig to think about what he's done yeah yeah did you have any thoughts on this chapter? Um, not especially. I mean, did you have something? It's, it's, I don't, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a lot of stuff going on within a short span of a few chapters. Uh, like, again, he, in this volume, he goes from running off and being angry with them to coming to a place where he feels responsible for them again and he comes back but ultimately that act of running away was what caused them to be in uh to 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 be put in harm's way in the first place yeah yeah exactly uh there's there's a lot of stuff just going wrong there yep yeah i think the thing that stands out to me in this chapter well i guess the, the two main things first is just the action scene between the gundam and the goof that that's just a really well drawn battle sequence just the artistry of it, and then add the fact that uh, that was the one that scene was in color for part of it. That yeah, that just looks great, man. That's a visual visual feast right there. Just pure enjoyment for the eyes as a mecha fan. I love stuff like that. But the other thing that really stood out to me was the end of this chapter when Amro goes back in, into White Base and he's just yelling at everybody because he's he can't believe that they decided to put him in in the brig you know Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it's it's almost like he doesn't understand the gravity of what he did in the first place he gets pretty petty at at one point because he even says um if they attack you again i'm not gonna do anything to save you guys this time (laughs) yeah exactly i was like dude exactly that's, that's harsh it really is man yeah everybody's nobody really 
has any words of comfort for him or anything. Like they're all it. Everybody's just subdued after the battle, and then they're just listening to Amro yelling yeah. Uh, yeah. from the. You know, they're in the hallway listening to him yell, and eventually they all just leave because they don't have anything to say to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The oh, go ahead. The thing that I thought was interesting at the end, though, was how when he kind of tires himself out from all the yelling and pounding on the door. He, you just get this scene of him where he's on his on his knees thinking about the battle and what happened between uh, him and Rambaral, and he just comes to this realization on the last page where he just says, "I want to beat that man." Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. another one of those moments where it feels like a very it's a hero's journey's moment. <laughs> yeah, a hero's yeah. journey's moment, but also like this very teenager kind of moment you know oh yeah yeah, that's true that's true it's, it's like this thing where he never realized how much he wanted to pilot the gundam and and be effective in combat until he met somebody who bested him it's kind of like this immature sort of reaction right right i i think they also uh reveal that i think is this the section where they reveal that he actually has some latent uh telepathic powers or something or that he's uh it was brought up earlier well was it brought up earlier in this volume or was it in the previous volume but there was a a mention of new types yeah 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 i might have missed it in the last one but but maybe it was this volume then yeah because there's the scene where he's in the in the brig and he starts talking and he begins to um you know, he he begins to sense things. I think, or at least that was the implication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's in the in the final chapter actually. When he's when you get like a clear image of him sensing an approaching battle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, get to the next section here. Section seven. White base licks its wounds and begins repairs. They also interrogate Sela to try and figure out what she's doing, and they throw her in a sh- in a cell too. Mm-hmm. We're privy to her thoughts, and it's here that we learn that Shar is her brother. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ramba and his remaining forces learn that they're not getting additional mobile suit support, but he still develops a plan to attack without those uh, reinforcements anyway. Yeah. And then on white base, Kai, Hayato, and some of the other former civilians that joined white base uh, at the same time when Amaro and Frau did, they decide to di- ditch white base and Ryu Jose angrily leaves on a on a vehicle to track them down. And that's how that section ends. So yeah, you were about to say something about the revelation between Sela and Shar? Yeah, just again like when when that scene happened and we had uh Layla Layla Sayla Sayla when she was all uh you know interrogating the prisoner about uh Char Char and um what had happened to him it's not something that automatically came to mind like i i guess i wasn't thinking about about it at the time like why mm-hmm. why she had this level of interest, but once they revealed it, it was like, oh, okay, I guess I should have thought about that. <laughs> I was yeah, I was wondering actually whether you were thinking if she was in love with him or something. 
Yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, it's it's definitely behavior that's um, outside of the the realm of. It's suspicious enough behavior where, under any other circumstances, someone should be like, "Hey, that's weird," <laughs> right? But. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah it, it just didn't occur to me at the time to to ask myself that uh, I don't know why <laughs> yeah. yeah there was that moment in volume one when they met face to face I don't know if you remember that back in the first volume when when they were yeah, yeah, yeah. before right. they left the colony yeah they had the shootout or, yeah or like a standoff I guess yeah yeah, yeah. and they, they came face to face and it, at the time you get the sense that uh they might recognize each other or something but like the moment is over too quick like they don't have a chance to like talk about anything yeah. because it's it's just like all that all of it that confrontation happens and then Shar gets away yeah. but it it definitely like left an imprint on her you know yeah well i guess the other thing is and this is definitely a hindsight hindsight thing but when you look at her there's a way the way that she's drawn, it almost there's a way you could look at that and be like, oh, they they do kind of look alike, or yeah, you know, they share yeah, similar totally, traits, man. you know. Yeah, they look like they're related. Yeah, yeah. So eh, there we go. There's that. What'd mm-hmm. you think of that the first time that you read it? Like, was that something that I don't know blew your mind? Like, I don't I don't even mean like reading it right now this time, but like just that revelation the first time you ever experienced it um well the first time i experienced it was in the anime yeah 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 and i I think at that point i don't i can't really remember my initial reaction because i was so young at the time you know this i probably watched it in the in the late 90s when i was in high school but i'm pretty sure it was one of those things where i was surprised but not like it, I don't think it blew my mind or anything. It was just like, oh, that's a an interesting twist because yeah, yeah, yeah. It it makes me, cause cause like even though the rest of the white base crew doesn't know this information, they already suspect her of having. They question her loyalty is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Yeah. Like they don't know why she's so interested in this guy Shar. Yeah. But as the as the audience, once once we learn that there's still kind of this question right off the bat where, where it makes you wonder, wait, so if that's her brother, which, what is she going to do? Like, is she going to, you know, try and reunite with him or, you know, even if it means leaving her friends or the people on white base, like what's, what is the ultimate uh, consequence of this revelation going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I think that's the, the drama of it that makes it i don't know it just kind of compels you to want to find out what happens next totally totally yeah mm-hmm. yeah so go ahead huh? no i was oh. gonna say what's what, what's next yeah so the final chapter in section eight what we have here is after the conversation that ryu has with kai hayato and the others he eventually brings everybody back to white base just in time for the ensuing battle. Ramba's Xeon forces launch an infantry attack mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they manage to board white base. 
Amro and Sela are both released from their cells to help fight. During the battle, Sela and Ramba come face to face, and they clearly have some history. They're, they basically turn a corner and both have their guns pointed at, at each other, and there's this flash of recognition, and mm-hmm. Ramba calls her Artasia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty tense moment. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was definitely a tense moment. And then you you also see uh like right when that happens, um Ryu he he just like in his mind he just sees somebody pointing a gun at his crewmate. So mm-hmm. he starts yelling and firing his gun and he manages to hit Ramba, but he gets hit also. So they're both wounded. They're not fatal wounds or anything, but they're bleeding and that kind of ends the the meeting between Raul and Sela. Mm. It's interesting cuz now you've you've got like an additional layer of tension built into the scene, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this whole thing where you've got the conflict between Zeon and the Federation, but uh, within that there's this this additional conflict where Sela is although she's part of the federation now you you're afraid what they're going to do to her right um yeah. if they find out so in that moment where Ramba uh you know is in a position to out her there there's this feeling where you're in your mind you're like oh is this going to happen uh or is this um like what's going to happen to her if they find out that she's actually related to char you know what are they going to do to her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah um yeah uh, it's it's well done it's it's a clever like uh convention to 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 add in to the mix of the whole thing you know yeah the plot's starting to get more complicated yeah yeah so the battle ends with Ryu wounded, and uh, eventually Ramba Ral ends up dying. However, Hamon and the rest of the Xeon forces that were initially part of Ramba's group uh, are still out there. So that's how the this volume ends. I want to go back yeah. to the that face-to-face meeting between Sela and Ramba, because there is some dialogue there that it does hint at some bigger implications and i'm not i'm not sure if it's if it's uh super obvious because if you kind of like skip over some of the names that we came across uh, in earlier chapters it, it might not mean anything to you but what happens is first uh when they see each other ramba says lady artasia is it like he's shocked that he 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 uh, seems to recognize her, and then he says, mm-hmm. it, it is Lady Artasia. Do you not remember me? My father served under yours, Zion Dekun. I am the son of Jimbaral. And when he says that my father served under yours, Zion Dekun, so that, that's telling us some pretty big information there, because Zion Dekun, I mean, <laughs> that's the whole, re- that's the guy that Zion is named after. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. But, but you never, we never actually see him, right? Because the Zabis are the ones who are in power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
so it, it it gives you this like whole element of world building because it's not like it's not like the book slows down so that we can get the entire history of Zeon right here, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's like it all just happens in the moment, but it, it definitely lays down uh, like this. Yeah, like there's a foundation yeah. to to make you think. Wait, if she's related to the guy that Zeon is named after, what does that all mean? Right, right. Yeah, right. Like, there's so many different ways that, like, it, it's almost like you can see the possibilities branching out in front of you, right? There's, there's the possibility that this could be a salvation for them on some level, right? Like, if she, if she is what we think she is, it it could be the end of the whole conflict, or it could be, uh, a potential for great tragedy too, right? A, a missed mm -hmm. opportunity, like there's. There's just so much that could go right or could that could go wrong because they they I think it's fair to say that they have access to someone who who's got so much uh name recognition that they could bring an entire empire to its knees if they if if they should so choose to use that influence, right? Mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah. It's Yeah, it, it it's it's kind of the the spark that's gonna light the the fire for like whatever the next big thing is, you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's kind of a slow burn for sure. Yeah, yeah. And if uh obviously with Sela and Shar being revealed as siblings, then this information also kind of gives you a different perspective on what Shar has been doing. And his motivations yeah. also. Yeah. It yeah, it definitely raises more questions because it's it's a matter of, well, if he's not part of the ruling family, then what happened to them, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very reasonable question. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why is it called Zeon, but but there's no Zeon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And why is this guy so mad at this ruling class, this ruling family? <laughs> Exactly. I, I think it's pretty fair to say, like we, I think if we drew certain conclusions, it'd be, it'd be, they'd be fair, fair assumptions to make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any other thoughts or, or uh, things that you wanted to talk about, or well, even any other questions that you had? I don't know if I can answer them. No, no, no. I, I, th I think the majority of my questions were answered, and I think they'll continue to be to unfold as as I continue to read. But I do think that in one of our earlier episodes, we were talking about how, or I was talking rather about how I wasn't sure how this story could fill twelve volumes, you know, because it just it felt like it was a pretty straightforward conflict between these two opposing forces, but. I do really feel with this volume that you definitely get a sense that there's so much more story that they're setting up, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not just this battle versus good versus uh, this battle of good versus evil, where um, the the stakes are civilization. I mean, it is that, but there's also um, this whole thing mixed in with when 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 those 
when the royal family is introduced and you have those four characters right there you know that there's it's again they're like sub bosses right so you get yeah. this sense that there's going to be this slow escalation but even now um at the very end when there's the introduction of uh char and uh Sela's story there's there's elements of mystery in there that they're they're building up to it so i can definitely see like in terms of the remaining what eight volumes nine volumes that we have that there's mm -hmm. going to be way more story that's going to unfold and i'm sure that there are things on the horizon that i'm not even aware of that are going to continue to to play out you know yeah totally man yeah yeah you're you're lucky that you get to experience this for the first time yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm digging it man um i also wanted to talk about there was this one scene that really stuck out to me which was just uh it's it's the moment where uh a bunch of the the tank pilots run off and they just decide that they don't want to do this anymore yeah <laughs> you know i don't want to die <laughs> yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty intense moment because you know on the one hand they're these are the same people that were just talking crap about amuro and you know him deserting them and right then and there we see them deserting for Mm -hmm. almost equally as um as as well maybe not quite as minor uh, a reason but it's still you know desertion. not not a, it's still desertion it's not a great look right mm -hmm. and there's something about that scene like just the entire exchange there it's it's really pow uh, it's some moving stuff you know just watching them um state their case cuz Ryu's Ryu's there and he's just basically saying like we're not soldiers, man. We're just civilians. We just is it is are we so wrong to not want to die? Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what Hayato says. Ryu's the the big dude. Oh, he's yeah. the, he's yeah. the only one that's actually a soldier out of those out of those guys. Right, right, right. Sorry, my mistake. Yeah, but it's it's a really it's a scene that really jumped out at me. Um, but the only one thing about it that I that caught me and kind of made me uh, question it was i i did wonder why they were just drawn in such a cartoony way even though they were talking about something that was so serious you know like mm -hmm. it's it it should for all intents and purposes be this really dramatic and and serious moment but they're, they're it just feels like their their entire look and their actions are just so exaggerated that i don't know i don't know if i i, I was i felt you know what ultimately it's it's a choice that they made so yeah um it, it just gave me something to think about yeah I'm, I'm looking at those pages right now like starting like like right around page 400 i don't know 408 or so mm -hmm. we, um and the next several pages I, I like the scene when uh ryu catches up to them and he basically just gives Kai a beating. I mean, everybody deserted, right? But Kai's the only one that he punches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, again, it, it goes. There's another thing about this scene where, um, when he's yelling at Kai, even Kai has some like pretty logical reasons about wanting to leave White Base because he's he he basically brings up the idea of Bright and all these other people 
saying that miss that saying that Sela is a a Zeon spy, right? And maybe that's why Zeon's been chasing them every step of the way because yeah, yeah. their calm lady is working with them. And if that's the case, he doesn't want any part of that. Yeah. Right. Like he, then what are we dying for? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. And mm. like he he really pisses off Ryu with with those statements. And then uh, Hayato, the the small guy who who usually acts as the gunner in Ryu's gun tank, he's the one who ha- gives this really impassioned speech. Basically says, "Is it wrong to want to stay alive? Why is it wrong to want to ditch a fight like this? <laughs> you and the others are soldiers." So you might be ready to die at any time at a superior's orders, but we're civilians. Don't lump us together. Because again, these guys are the civilians. They they were basically conscripted when they were evacuating the colony. Right. <laughs> they, right they didn't right. apply to join the military. Exactly. Exactly. Like they, their entire like being was just to live normal lives, right? Granted, you know, war comes when war comes. It's it's not something that people choose. And you, man, this it feels all it all feels so relevant. But yeah, like all of a sudden, what you want kind of doesn't matter, you know. And yeah, you're just thrust into um whatever role you have to do in order to survive. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this panel on page 414 when in the middle of Hayato's speech, he's looking up at Ryu and Hayato's on his knees and he says, we've been fighting for everyone's sake all this time, but I'm starting to feel funny about it. It's like we civilians are being exploited because it's convenient. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, it's just stuff like that, that, that kind of hits a little too close to home, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that that's a commentary on war right there, right? It's this idea that, you know, who suffers when war comes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even though soldiers are fighting, like, at the end of the day, it's it's people. It's it's everyone, right? Just people who are just trying to live lives, yeah. normal lives. Yeah. yeah. I think the end of his speech is pretty poignant, too. What he says is, Hayato says, I, I no longer get what we're fighting or dying for. Mm-hmm. Tell us why, Ryu. I won't have it. You can't just wallop me into sucking it up. Mm. And then at that point, Ryu it gives him some pause too, and he just thinks that stuff, stuff like that. And then uh, there's the next panel on the next page. He says, "I don't get myself." <laughs> <laughs> like, and he yells it too. And like the way again, yeah. the way it's drawn, it did. It is pretty cartoonish where his his mouth is just like half his face, you know, while he's yeah. yelling this. Yeah. And like when I got to that when I got to that specific panel, it, it definitely made me go back and just reread the entire conversation again. Because it, it was uh that wasn't the that wasn't the response I was expecting, you know? Yeah. Like Well, I guess it's a moment of true honesty. Yeah, that that's super honest. It. He's basically because he's basically saying I don't know either, but I'm still yeah. doing it. Yeah. He and he he you would expect him to know out of all of them. He's like you said, he's the only one that's actually a soldier, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean, I guess again, if you were to look at that for commentary, the the, the whole point of that is uh, at the end of it all, nobody really knows what war's for, you know? Yeah. Definitely one of the more fascinating scenes in this whole volume. Yeah, yeah. 
Did you have any thoughts uh, about Amro as the hero of the story? Yeah. Uh, well, I think we just continue to see more of him as well. We just continue to see just like just the layers of complexity to him. You know, he's he's again he's not a conventional hero in the sense that you know you have someone like Captain America or something where. He he's just the leader of men, right? He's yeah. he's, he's a he's inspiration. An inspiration, exactly. But this guy, we we mentioned just how insecure he is, and it makes sense because he's a teenager. But it's one of those tropes in anime or manga that we see a lot, where you know there's someone who is just blessed by whatever reason to be super powerful and yeah. be the hero of these people. And you know, a lot of the times it's it's this thing where you know. He, he just has that ability because you know the fates have chosen him to to be our savior so we look at him as someone to 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 root for but it's just interesting here how how much i guess how human he is you know like yeah. how he does things for selfish reasons how he's he's a guy who's capable of being traumatized by this he's a guy who's capable of uh being selfish he, he's a guy who's capable of feeling hurt and insecure and uncertain of himself you know do you so, empathize with with him or is it is the fact that he ditched his comrades with the gundam when they really needed him does that kind of like taint him for you it doesn't taint him for me but i, I can't say i empathize with him either I, maybe on on the most superficial superficial uh level i can say yeah i get it you know it's a it's a tough position to be in and it's only human to like feel this way about things but i can't help but end that sentence every time with come on man you can't be doing that (laughs) you You can't just be ditching these people to die just because you're you're having a a moment you know come on man yeah get it together Uh, yeah, it's it's hard, man. It's, it's hard to look at him. Like he's he's certainly not a, a hero in in the sense that he he's not a hero in the sense that in the vein of a hero that I want him to be, you know. Yeah, yeah. But but hey, maybe that's just how it is. It's you know, it's like that the red badge of courage or something, right? Where you have your main character and uh. You have these moments where, when confronted with something that's as severe as that, um, it it shocks you. But it's a question of what, what what does it make you do later? Like, do you continue to be a coward, or do you, or is this a story about him becoming the hero that he ultimately will be, that he'll need to be? Mm-hmm. So that's you know, maybe that might be his one saving grace. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah good yeah. thoughts did did he kind of remind you of shinji from neon genesis evangelion yeah no there's an, there's several episodes where shinji is just like yeah he, he doesn't outright like steal his unit zero one or anything like that but um where is it zero two i forget zero one no he's zero one. zero one yeah he doesn't like steal it but there's there's this entire episode where he just gets on a train and he just rides it back and forth because he's 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 his basket case right he 
the world needs him to I guess the one difference is Shinji really doesn't want to be an Evangelion pilot like he he gets no real glory from it you know yeah but he does it because he understands their need for survival so like the idea that Shinji would ever steal unit zero one and uh you know be like i don't want anybody else piloting this when in reality i'm pretty sure he'd be happy to have anyone else pilot the thing you know yeah, yeah. do you remember that one episode in evangelion when he threatened to use his ava to destroy nerve because of what happened when uh i, f- I forget you know, Gendo basically, I forget exactly the circumstances, but Gendo did something in, that uh, Shinji didn't agree with, and and he was basically threatening to destroy the base. Um, I feel like there are a couple of scenes like that, uh, but I do remember, like, I don't fully remember it specifically, but I do remember that there were times where he was going to flip out and, you know, when he has access to that kind of power he's that that's definitely not a it's definitely not a admirable way to yeah to use that power and it's not uh admirable behavior you know yeah, yeah. but i guess it is teenage behavior right yeah that's true when you put it that way that's uh that's a good point <laughs> it's very human and uh it's it's believable that a teenager would do that just lose their crap yeah yeah there's another evangelion parallel that i thought of for some reason while reading volume three and i was thinking of comparing bright with misato because they're they're both kind of like the adults in the room but neither of them really wants to be there either but they really have no choice but to manage these young pilots yeah it's it, it was just something that kind of struck me in volume three because bright he like the way that he is so angry at Amro for for uh ditching and basically for stealing the gundam uh-huh, but uh-huh. but like at the same time like he's you know that he's trying to do his bright's trying to do his best to complete the mission with yeah. as little losses as possible, and he yeah. knows that he kind of has to. He kind of has to rely on Amro and the Gundam, even if he doesn't really want to. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just kind of reminded me of Misato in Evangelion, because... I can see that. And yeah, then, exactly. It's I just, don't think he's quite as likable, even though I do like him as a character. It's, he's not as charismatic, I guess, or charming. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I see it. I see it. I, yeah, I think it's kind of like what you were saying last time, uh, where you compared Bright to middle management. I think you did. Yeah. 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 yeah right. He, <laughs> essentially, all the upper management are just kind of gone. So he's just stuck being this middle manager running an executive role. And yeah. he doesn't want to do that, you know? Yeah. But he, he does it in spite of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I find admirable about him. It's, it, I, it always reminds me of this. Um, the scene from the authority where Jenny Sparks is talking about, uh, you know, she's talking about how things always go wrong. And I forget which, which issue it was, but she goes, you know, things go wrong when I'm 
in charge of a team and things go wrong when I'm not in charge of a team. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, that. whatever, you know, if that's the case, then you might as well be in charge, you know, at least at that, at least under those circumstances, you're trying to assert as much control over the situation as possible. Right. Correct. And, and it, it just feels that way with bright where he might not want to be there, but he, he also knows that these people don't have any other choice, but yeah. But him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's something not necessarily tragic about that, but there's definitely something about it that makes you feel a small sense of pity, maybe, just for the situation. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Huh. But uh, maybe maybe I'm just a sucker for reluctant leaders, you know? Because I mm-hmm. think it's I certainly think it's easy for for us to want to look at leaders and heroes who who just knock it out of the ballpark right just every time who just know what they're doing but the idea of a reluctant hero or a reluctant leader you know who who succeeds maybe not perfectly but in mm-hmm. spite of uh their desire for it yeah it's, it's compelling it's a, it's a compelling uh, narrative. You know? It is, man. Yeah. 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 I agree. I think that's why, even though uh, Gundam has so many, so many characters, there's a lot of interesting and rich characterization. Like these characters may not have the most pages or scenes devoted to them, but uh-huh. Uh-huh. from what we do see, they're clearly well thought out, and there's a lot of depth in their character. Yeah. It's yeah. like, like kind of, kind of requires you to, I don't know, just extrapolate bits and pieces that we get from the scenes that we do see them. Because mm-hmm. even though Bright is the captain of the ship and we see him pretty regularly, like the handful of scenes where they're focused on him, I feel like they did a lot for his character in in Volume Three specifically. I'm I'm thinking particularly about the scene where he gets upset when he's listening to Garen's speech. And then there's the scene where he's talking with Mirai about Amuro being the pilot and how they need a backup. Like that, that felt like, like those two moments. Um, and then also the moment at, at the end when you see him get upset at Amuro after Amuro returns the Gundam and, and Bright has him tossed in the ship prison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt like those three moments really stood out in, for his character work because that first scene where he gets mad when Garen gives his speech, that that was a an interesting reaction to me because I think for most people, or at least I don't know, maybe it's just this is just me personally. Like I feel like if I had been in that position, yeah, I would be mad, but I don't know if I would stand up out of my chair and like you know, essentially yell at the TV or whatever, or, you know, give give the rest of his bridge crew a, a brief uh, lecture, kind of, or, you know, he's just kind of like preaching to the choir there at that point, because I think everybody knows how bad the zombies are, and, yeah, and yeah. he's just like standing there yelling at this guy for being a dictator. Mm-hmm. But I guess in a way, it, it shows how passionately he believes in what he's doing, or at least yeah. in the or at least it shows you like how strongly he feels against Zeon. 
Yeah. And yeah. and that's that's like a level of emotion that kind of goes a little extra than just being middle management, you know? Like I feel like yeah. that that shows that somebody cares on some level. He's devout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he won't he won't stand for fascist, man. Yeah. He, he will not he will not tolerate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess purely on that level, you got to respect him for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I like him. He's he's uh he's imperfect, but there's something noble about him in my eyes. Yeah, you kind of root for you just root for him despite his imperfections. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Any other final thoughts or comments you want to say, Albert? Uh, just that I'm looking forward to whatever the next volume is. You know, things are things are picking up, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm I'm. I'm chomping at the bit. I'm I'm already ready to go to the library and reserve that next volume. <laughs> Sounds good to me, man. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, if things go according to plan, I believe with our next episode, we're going to be diving into Moon Knight comics because that Moon Knight TV show on Disney Plus is slated to come out pretty soon. Yeah, we're going to do... educate you guys on Moon Knight. <laughs> yep. I don't think we have... A specific reading list we're just we've just been reading various moon knight comics that we've accumulated over the years right unless right. you want to like name check anything to to get people like if, if there's anything that you would want to recommend to people before we do our episode um i mean i guess the way i saw it was just uh, it's going to be a surprise to whoever listens to the episode and we'll mention the various Moon Knight comics that we read when the episode comes up and, you know, they can take that as an opportunity to read it before they watch the show so they can get a feel for what Moon Knight's about. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So, you know, if you guys are listening. If you guys will, uh, if, you know, give us a rating that would help us a lot on the algorithm. And on top of that, please follow us on our social media. Uh, you know, you can go to our Instagram at Between the Gutters. Or if you want to DM us or messages, you can uh, do it there. Or you can email us at Between the Gutters Podcast at gmail.com. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next time. Peace, guys. Later. <laughs>